morning, everybody. How are we all doing? Good. Good. Craig, a rough week, you guys. I completely missed a meeting. I was 45 minutes late for another meeting. It was the same people both times. Now I've, I've ruined my reputation. Uh, yeah, it's been rough. Uh, but we're, we're at church. This is good. Um, if you remember, or maybe if you're new, you don't remember, we are uh, we're in the second Sunday of Lent this morning, and we are walking through um, seven passages in the book of Revelation, because there are seven times in Revelation that the text blesses the reader. And we thought over the course of the Lent season, Lent is a, uh, a time prior to Easter when we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, that we, we slow down a little bit. Some, some of us fast, we give up things that get in the way, and we focus on Jesus. We thought, let's, let's take a look at the book of Revelation. Let's take a look at the, what the book of Revelation has to say about Jesus, and specifically, what are these seven blessings that we receive when we read this book? And We are on the third blessing this morning in chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible with you, the Pew Bible in front of you is available. We'll be on page 1099 in that Bible. So, I work as a videographer for about half my week every week. And as a videographer, I have filmed my fair share of weddings. I don't really like filming weddings. They're pretty good money, but they're pretty stressful. And the cardinal rule of weddings is nobody tells the videographer anything. It's, it's, but it's the rule. And so you go to a wedding as the videographer, and you, there's a plan, like there's a planner whose job it is to make a plan that you throw out the window immediately, and you just have to figure out what's going on. And the problem, the reason weddings are stressful is because you only get one shot at it. It's super awkward to be like, can we do that kiss one more time? I missed it. And so you have to pay attention. And there is nothing that you can go off of, no schedule that you can follow, no person in the room that you can trust to tell you what's going to happen next. So church weddings, like, like this, this room, there's a couple doors in the back. Those doors are closed, and at some point, they're going to swing open, and the bride's going to walk through. That's important. You need that shot when you're shooting a wedding. And nobody's going to tell you when that's going to happen. Because nobody knows when that's going to happen. The bride doesn't even know when that's going to happen. And so the only way to get that shot is to point your camera at the door, press the record button, make sure you're in focus, and stare at the door. You have to be alert. You have to pay attention. So in this text this morning, Jesus is going to pronounce a blessing over his people the people that stay alert, that pay attention. So let's, uh, let's take a look. We just read it, but let's take a look at it again. It's short. Uh, verse 12 of chapter 16 starts with the sixth. Um, that, that's the sixth angel. 
He pours out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the dragon's mouth and from the beast's mouth and from the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits performing signs to travel to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God, the Almighty. Look, and this is Jesus interrupting the narrative. Look, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed so that he may not go around naked and people see his shame. So they assembled the kings at the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. So the first question this morning is, what in the world is going on here? Right? If you're not familiar with the book of Revelation, if you don't read it a lot, this is really weird stuff. This is why a lot of people don't spend a lot of time in this book. is because it's very strange. John is being given a vision, a highly symbolic vision of the days prior to the return of Christ. Jesus is coming back. He said so. He rose from the dead. We're going to celebrate it on Easter. And he said, I'm going to come back for you. And I'm going to set up my kingdom on the earth and rule over it. And John is laying out how that's going to kind of go down but he's doing it in a way that's very symbolic. He's using words that are supposed to stand for other words. And if you don't understand the symbols, it can be really, really weird. So the first thing he says is there's these bowls. And if you read back a little ways, you see that the bowls come out of heaven and they're filled with the wrath of God. There's seven of them. And this is that we don't, we don't like this in 21st century America. We don't like to think of God as angry, as wrathful. We like to think that God just loves everybody and doesn't care about anything that anybody does because he's just so happy and nice and kind. We like to say that God is love. That's absolutely true. God is love. But we also see when we take scripture seriously that God is upset about some things. He's upset about evil. He's upset about wickedness. He's upset about his creation going astray and running amok. He's upset about injustice and people hurting one another and hurting the environment. And and so he's angry. But I think this idea of a bowl of wrath is comforting for us because it's stored up. It's in heaven. It's contained somewhere. It's prepared, it's planned, and it's premeditated. That means that we don't serve a God that just flies off the handle. He doesn't just go into a rage. He's not like the first Incredible Hulk movie where Bruce Banner just gets pricked and like flies off the handle and turns into a giant green rage monster. He's a more controlled Hulk later on. He learns to figure that out. But God is not like that. God is holy and righteous and good and knows what it takes to bring about justice in the world. And at some point in the future, he's going to say that this has been enough injustice. This has been enough evil. We're going to put a stop to it. And so he pours out his wrath on the world. And so we see that he pours out his wrath on the river Euphrates that dries up and it allows these armies to congregate together. In verse 13 and 14, we see that that the, the armies congregate because they are coerced to congregate together. These demonic spirits come out of the dragon and the beast and the false prophet. So the dragon, Revelation tells us, is Satan, the devil, God's great enemy. 
The beast, the beast is, is a, I believe, a national, global, economic, and cultural system. If you read the book of Daniel, when he has crazy visions, he sees beasts, and they represent nations, Persia and Greece and Rome. And so I think John is keying off of that imagery and saying, there's going to be this nation, this political power, and he calls it the beast. And then he talks about the false prophet, and I think that's like the, the propaganda arm of the beast, the marketing department of the beast. And you, you read this and you think like, what, how are we supposed to understand this? What is this supposed to mean for us today? And a metaphor that I find helpful is um, from the movie Ghostbusters 2. It's not the best Ghostbusters movie. It's the second best Ghostbusters movie. And uh, in Ghostbusters, there's this purple ooze running through the sewers of New York. And it's everywhere. And and there's this one scene where they're in a courtroom because they're ghost busting and it's, um, they're not supposed to be. And they've got this little ooze in a beaker and, and the judge is just yelling at them and berating them and the ooze is kind of bubbling because it responds to the judge's anger and it finally just bubbles over and all these weird ghosts come out and obviously it's really a stupid movie. But the idea is there is this undercurrent, this, this wicked, evil power that is flowing through the city and from time to time it just bubbles up and all this crazy stuff happens. And I think as we look through the f- past and look for the future and look through the word of God, we see this, this undercurrent, this power, this authority that's wicked, that's evil, that's sinful, that's just kind of flowing through history. And sometimes it bubbles up. So John's readers in the first century read this, they could go, yeah, I get it, the beast, Rome, the power of government that is killing us and burning us at the stake and feeding us to the lions because we won't worship Caesar, that's the beast. And in the Middle Ages, Christians can read Revelation and go, yeah, I can see the feudal lords and their injustice to the, the, the people, that's the beast, in 20th century, German Christians can look at the Nazi regime coming to power in their country and go, yeah, I get it, that's the beast. 21st century Chinese Christians can look around and go, yeah, I see the beast. The reality is our systems of power, wherever we live in the world, America is not um, excluded, there's this undercurrent of wickedness, of evil, of powers that are against the kingdom of God running through all of it. And sometimes it just bubbles up. And John says that these these powers, they release these spirits that coerce all of these nations to gather together because the rulers of the world are under the sway of what the Bible calls the God of this world. We are, as Christians, we are a kingdom, right? The kingdom of God. We are Jesus' people. And we are occupying a foreign land. And 
And so this is the situation right before Jesus returns, because I think there's an element of this story that is yet future. All these armies are assembling because these powers that are ruling the world, that are ruling culture, are coercing them and coaxing them together. And then Jesus breaks in in verse 15. Look, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who is alert. And so the question, Jesus uses this this idea of the thief, and it happens several times throughout Scripture. The question is, when does the thief come? Nobody knows, right? Like, they don't don't stop by and be like, hey, I'm going to swing back around about 2.15 in the morning. Is that going to be okay for you? That's not how it works. They show up when nobody expects them to. They don't share their schedule. And this is where I, I feel like we need to be careful because we, many of us as Christians, many of us who enjoy studying prophecy, get really caught up in looking for the signs of the coming of the thief. And there aren't any. I don't know how many Christians I have met that will not get involved with a local body of believers because they cannot find a church that does enough prophecy updates. How does the Israeli election figure into Bible prophecy? What about this coronavirus outbreak? Where do we read about that in scripture? What's Russia doing in Syria right now? Did you know there's a locust outbreak in Africa happening? I just think this is all a waste of time. Because Jesus says he's coming like a thief. Nothing is going to happen before Jesus returns. If you are, and we're going to get a little technical for a second, if you are what's called a dispensationalist, um, this is a a system of, of how the end times is supposed to work, and most Americans kind of fall into this category because of books like by Hal Lindsey, Left Behind series, and um, that theological system would say that the the next thing that's going to happen on God's calendar is the church is going to be raptured. Someday Jesus is going to return in secret, and everybody who's a follower of Christ is going to get caught up into heaven. And then at that point, this great tribulation, this this terrible time is going to befall the earth that's talked about in the book of Revelation. And if if that's the system that makes the most sense to you, then there is absolutely nothing that is going to happen before Jesus returns. The very next thing, according to that theory of how the end of the world is going to happen, is that Jesus is going to come back and get his church. And so if the bulk of your time is spent trying to figure out prophetic signs and what's going to happen and who's the beast and, and, and who's, what's the mark of the beast and all these things, it, it's just... A waste of time. Maybe you're not a dispensationalist. Maybe you don't think that that's the case. Maybe you don't believe in a rapture. Well, the thing about that is the whole world is deceived by the dragon and the beast and the false prophet. And so Jesus' words are the same. Don't be deceived. Don't pay attention to that. Don't get all caught up in that. Be alert. So what are, we, what are we supposed to be alert about? If a thief is coming, how do you prepare for the coming of the thief? You watch your front door. You watch your windows. 
You just watch for the thief. So how are we called to live in this world if we're supposed to be alert? And I think Jesus answers that question for us a few pages earlier. If you turn back to chapter three of Revelation, Jesus writes letters to specific churches at the beginning of this book. If you're following, if you have the Lent reading plan, which is at both doors, you read through chapter one through three of Revelation this week. And in 3.14, Jesus writes to the church at Laodicea. He says, write to the angel of the church of Laodicea, thus says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works. I know that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed, and your shameful nakedness not be exposed. An ointment is spread on your eyes so that you may see. Jesus has a very similar warning to the church at Laodicea. Don't go around naked. Remain clothed. Why, why does he say the Laodiceans are, are naked and blind? It's because they think they're rich. They think they have everything they need. They have been deceived by the systems of the world that they live in. We talk about this a lot, and the book of Revelation talks about it a lot, but there is just a real temptation for us to just go along with whatever the culture around us says is the right thing to do. Whatever's, whatever the culture thinks is best just seems normal. It's the, it's the water we swim in. It's the world that we are born into, and it just seems like, well, this is what everybody's doing. And it can even seem godly. Going back to Revelation 16, John talks about the dragon and the beast and the false prophet. Why do you think that there are three powers at play here? It's because we worship the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Our God is a trinity and God's enemy knows that. And so he's going to pretend to look kind of spiritual. There's three of us. We're, we're godly. This is okay. I was watching a YouTube video a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was a town hall meeting that one of our local po political candidates was putting on. And it, it, was, it was a message about refugees. And it was just racist and anti-Jesus in every respect. And he said, you know, in America, we believe in apple pie and baseball and God bless America. First of all, apple pie and baseball, it just, that just is a different category. But then, but then we say, in God bless America. And, and yeah, God bless America. But his whole message was broken. It was, it was a message based on fear and violence, and it didn't line up with what Jesus would be about. But it kind of sounded good because he threw around churchy things. 
and we can be deceived. We can, we can hear stuff and it, it, sounds, it sounds good. It sounds Christian, kinda. And the whole world is deceived by the beast and the false prophet and the dragon. Thinking a little bit more about the church of Laodicea, Jesus says that you are blind. They don't know they're blind. I go to, I go to Portland once a month for, for a, a, an event and I, uh, the, the class I'm a part of starts at seven o'clock in the morning in Portland. So I, I take the 5 a.m. flight out of Spokane, which means I get up at 2.30 in the morning. And when I do that, one of the things I try not to do is wake up Joanna, my wife. Um, if, I, if I get woken up in the middle of the night, I find it very easy to fall back asleep. She does not. If, she gets up, if, if I wake her up at two o'clock in the morning, she will not be able to go back to sleep. And so I try very hard to allow her to sleep. And so I stumble around in the dark trying to get my stuff together. And on more than one occasion, I've gotten all the way out to the garage, open the garage door, and then the garage door light comes on. And then I realized I'm not wearing my glasses. I can't see a thing without my glasses. But I didn't notice. Why? Because it was dark. I didn't, I didn't know I was blind because I didn't have any light to see by. And Jesus is saying, Laodiceans, you think you are rich. You think you can see. You think everything is going well. But the fact is, you've been deceived. You're blind. You can't see. You are not remaining alert. We'll go to one more passage this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul writes, and he says something very similar. He says, about the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. Why not? For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them and labor pains, like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness, so then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day... Let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Look at the metaphors that Paul is using. Don't, don't be in the dark. Be in the light. And how do you be in the light? Be self-controlled. He says it twice. Be self-controlled and then put on the armor of faith and love and the hope of salvation. Where does that come from? It comes from Jesus, right? Focusing on Jesus, walking with Jesus is what puts us in the light. And I have to admit, I am, I am lazy and I am distracted. 
I don't know about all of you. I know some of you are also lazy and distracted. We've talked. Uh, maybe, maybe some of you are just nailing it in every category. There are things, there is, there is sin in my life. There is wickedness in my life that tempts me away from Christ that I have to battle with. And then there's also just stupid stuff. Social media and, my, and YouTube and goofing around with, you know, hobbies that take way too much of my time. It seems like there's excuse after excuse after excuse to go after things that do not bring me back to Christ. But Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, you belong to Jesus. I don't, I don't belong to me anymore. I belong to Christ. And he says, if, if you're not going to be surprised by the return of Christ, you need to be focusing on Christ. You need to be walking in the light. One of the things we've incorporated into our service over Lent is, is some, some visual art. And, and you, you see it at the communion table and you'll be able to see it better when you come up for communion. But it's two different pictures. And one of the pictures is a bunch of things that are just distracting. They're not all bad things. They're just things. And we get so caught up in them. And then the other picture that reveals itself as you walk closer to it is another category of things, a category of practices, a category of disciplines that moves us closer to Christ. So Jesus says, "Be blessed is the one who is alert. And look back to Revelation 16, look at verse 16. So they assembled the kings. The narrative kicks back in. They assembled the kings at the place in Hebrew, called in Hebrew, Armageddon. So everybody knows Armageddon, Bruce Willis movie, I think, about asteroids. Um, No, it's this classic uh, idea about the end of the world, this final battle, right? But if you read ahead to chapter 19, God in his sovereign power and his, 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 his plan, his pouring out his wrath is allowing these nations to gather together and then Christ is going to return and there's not really going to be a battle. If you read Revelation 19, Jesus just speaks and the battle is over. Jesus wins this war against the beast with a single word. And God is victorious. And all of the power and the pleasure and the influence and the security and the pride that the world wants us to buy into is decimated in an instant when Christ returns. And so I just wonder, like, why am I so captivated by it right now? Why do I need to know so much about what's going on in Hollywood? What's going on in social media? What's going on in my bank account? My portfolio? All of these things that just might not be bad things. Some of them might be, but they just distract us. They get us to drift away. And Jesus says, be alert, focus on me and you won't be deceived.
I think it's easy to hear something like this and, and just feel really guilty, right? Like, I, I haven't been focused on Christ like I should be. And you can feel ashamed by that. I just feel really down. Why do we have to talk about this? I was feeling good until I talked about this. And that's not the point. This is a blessing, right? Jesus says, oh, how happy is the one who is alert. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. If you are a Christian this morning, Jesus bought you with his blood on his cross. And he is encouraging us and warning us, pay attention. Don't pay attention to the Middle East or the European Union or the locusts in Africa. Pay attention to Jesus. And that takes, that takes some work, right? It takes some study. It takes some habit forming. Learn, study your Bible. Be in the word. This is, this is the primary place that we hear the voice of God. And you might say, well, I I just can't. I don't know how. Find somebody that knows how and tell them to teach you. They will. If you're somebody that knows how to study the word, find somebody that doesn't and teach them. This is what we do in the church. Pray. Develop a habit of spending time talking to and listening to God. Like, I don't know how to pray. Figure it out. I have books. I, that's, my, that's how I do discipleship. I give people books. Not likes that. If it's important, which I think it is, Jesus says, pay attention to me. We need to be about this. Take some steps. I, I have gotten nuts about my phone over the past several weeks. I, I deleted all of my social media I took my email off of my phone. The only thing that buzzes on my phone is when I get a phone call or a text message. I figured out how to turn the screen to black and white so it's incredibly uninteresting to look at. And it's been really helpful. (laughs) But sometimes if we recognize that, man, I'm being distracted from Christ, you need to take some steps. You need to cut some stuff off. You need to change some habits. You need to make some new ones. You need to ask people to hold you accountable. Paul says to the Thessalonians, you're going to be in, you're in the light because you are self-controlled. Our culture, everything in the world around us wants us to give up our self-control, wants us to get whatever we want right now. And walking with Christ is completely antithetical to that. And so Jesus is calling us to bring discipline on our life, to remain alert, because all the stuff that we're being deceived by is going to be destroyed. For about a year, I worked for a film company that primarily did weddings. I was an editor. So I didn't actually shoot a lot of them for this company, but I, I, I edited a lot of weddings. And every so often, we'd get footage in, and the filmers just totally missed it. There was the entrance, or heaven forbid, the kiss, 
or just something and they, they weren't paying attention or their battery died or their memory card got filled up. And this is my job to actually call the brides, thank goodness. But I remember the vibe talking to my fellow employees who were the project managers and it was so embarrassing to have to call a couple who had just experienced the greatest day of their life at this point and had paid us a ton of money to capture it forever and say, you know, we really screwed that up. See, there's, there's so much shame in that. There's so much embarrassment in that. And, and Jesus doesn't want that for us because there's gonna be a day when we all stand before Christ And Christian, you get to stand before Christ too. Your sins are forgiven. They are washed away by his blood, but you get to stand before him and he's gonna go, how'd it go? And we're gonna have to talk about it. And I know there are so many things in my life that I am already embarrassed about that I'm gonna have to talk to Jesus about. Things that I did that I shouldn't have done, things that I should have done that I just didn't do. Habits that I should have formed that I just, ah, I'm going to go play video games instead. But, but guys, I don't, I don't want that conversation to be really hard. I want it to be really good. I want to stand in front of my Lord and, and hear him say like, well done. Yeah, you screwed up. There were things that went wrong. You've been forgiven, but but you paid attention, you stayed alert. You followed me with everything you had and everything that you knew how. Like that's the conversation I wanna have. And that's the conversation he wants me to have. This is why this is in here. Blessed is the one who is alert. Because it could go another way. It could go like, hey, you know, I love you, but I didn't really hear from you much. Yeah, I never really learned how to pray. Like, well, why not? I just, I was too busy doing other stuff. Hey, you you didn't really spend your time getting to know me. Yeah, it was, I was just so busy with work. I was so busy with my, you fill in the blank. I kept my Bible by my bed, but, you know, I got a ding on my YouTube channels and I just had to watch that instead. That's going to be a really hard conversation to have with Jesus someday. And I don't, I don't want to have that. And I don't want that for any of us either. Look, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed so that he may not go around naked and people see his shame. Jesus loves us and he wants us to draw near to him. So as we, as we take communion, we take communion every Sunday. Come down in the cup. We're reminded of his sacrifice on the cross, right? his, his death on our behalf for our sin. And I would encourage you as you think about that to ask yourself, what what is it about the things that you know? What is it about the values you have 
the attitudes of your heart, the habits that you've developed, the relationships that you run in that are drawing you away from focusing your eyes on Christ. And if God's spirit reveals some of those things to you, I would just encourage you to take some drastic action this week and figure out how to reorient your life around Jesus. Maybe that's, if you wanna figure out how to turn your phone black and white, I'll let you know, it's, it's not hard. But maybe it's something, maybe it's something drastic. Maybe, maybe your job needs to change. Maybe your home life needs to change. Maybe you have some relationships that are just going wrong. Whatever it is, figure it out. Because I promise you, that you will not regret spending more of your life alert, focused on Christ, and less of your life focused on whatever it is the kingdom of the world says is cool. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.